Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and this beer is the bomb. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we're reading The Passenger by Cormac McCarthy, and I'm starting with a beer. So, not right away, but pretty much right away in the book, the main character, Bobby Western, has to go look at a submerged plane and uh, for a salvage dive. And you'd imagine when he saw this plane filled with a bunch of dead people, he was like, oh, fudge. <laughs> They're not, the other one's not better. Uh, this is from uh, Founders KBS Maple Mackinac Fudge. Uh, and this is an 11% what? alcohol. Yeah, that's Maple Mackinac Fudge. It's a ver- variety of KBS. And okay. it is 11% alcohol, stout, barrel-aged in barrels. It'll get, it'll get you drunk. They added maple syrup in oak bourbon barrels and uh, Mackinac Fudge Coffee. I don't know what the fuck that means. But that that tastes like if there were some way to combine stout and chocolate milk, this is it. And this is, I love it. I'm going to put my penis in it. This is really good. You can. There is a line later in the book when a guy's talking to Bobby Western. He's like, you know, remember this guy? He said he was once in India and he watched a guy drink a quart of milk with his penis. That is <laughs> yeah. a line in the book. Oh, yeah. And it might have been chocolate milk. I don't know. <laughs> it did not specify the type of milk. This is incredible. Oh, my God. All right. Well, heavy cream was fucking, too much work. Uh, we didn't have a chode. <laughs> you know, big urethra to drink heavy cream with your penis. Everyone knows that. Everyone so, does know that. They hadn't thought about it, but they do know it. You, think you know it intuitively. It's, <laughs> it's so, part of the, the common unconscious. Because <laughs> I think Young wrote about that. So, he did. He did. The Passenger is Cormac McCarthy is tied for Cormac McCarthy's newest novel, I guess. Though actually it's not because the other one didn't come out yet. As of when we're recording this, the second one isn't out yet. That's true. So this came out in October of 2022. And... Uh, it is his newest book in, I didn't realize, 16 years. 16 years. Since and, The Road. Uh, since The Road. And it is um, also one of his longer books, apparently. And God fucking knows what happens in it. Good luck, guys. <laughs> so it starts off with a description. First off, we should say the book has like two. We haven't read this with the companion book because it's not out yet. But they are linked together in some way. The second and book is from the perspective of the sister. So, yeah, so it starts... No, the second book are all lab notes of the psychologist yeah, talking it's, to it's, his yeah. sister. It's dialogue. It's like a script, apparently. So this starts off... Well, well let's just say there's two parts that goes back and forth. There's like the sister's perspective parts of the book, and then there's the plot of Bobby Western. But it starts off right away... Quote, plot. Well, yeah. It's <laughs> plod. It's plotting with a D. And then another D. Like the sister. No, it didn't say anything about the bosoms. But... It is these two things, and each chapter has like a starts off with like something about the sister, and it's all in italics, and then it goes to Bobby Western, and but it starts off, and you know she's fucking, she's committed suicide, she's dead, she kills like herself. The, in the opening s- page, like the starting page, is a hunter finding her in the forest. She's, I think she hung herself, though I wasn't quite sure, but she's basically so, yeah. she's frozen, she's dead. It's in the Wisconsin winter. Uh, and so finding her on Christmas Day, and she's dead, and you just find that out, and that's like two or three pages long, and then and then it becomes oh yeah, it becomes her hallucinations. That's the next part you find out about. 
So you're not really aware it's hallucinations until much later on. The first time, the first few times it happens, you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is. I yeah. assumed it was not real, or it I was assumed it, at first it was the afterlife or something. Or something but it it seems that it is not that. But who knows? I thought it was Maybe some it sort of joke because okay, the main person <laughs> that talks to her is just called the thalidomide kid. I had to look up what thalidomide did. Oh yeah, it was. Sure. Fl- and he has flippers. Yeah. So thalidomide was a medication given to women. I want to say in the fifties to ease with like morning sickness, right? It was it was a it was a sleeping medication that they oh, said okay. was safe for pregnant women, and it turns out no, it was not. Well, it was safe for them. It was safe because they were they, fine. They said the that baby wasn't. That's well, the problem. The, the problem was what the people that made it were a lot of German scientists in the late forties, early fifties, who did a lot of experiments fine. that they didn't uh, really talk about. I seem to have lost my notes for this, but I assure you, it is very perfect. None of their earlier subjects lived long enough to have the baby. So they're like, yeah, we did an extensive human testing on this stuff. It works. They go right to sleep. So actually, it was was only used in the the 60s. Yeah. Well, those were the same doctors. They were also older Nazis at that point. They had forgotten. They they were Nazis. They were Nazis. That is my memory. I I do not recall, but these little arms are not of the master race. Um... (laughs) And so Kanye it was definitely a fan of them. He's like, who are they using this on? <laughs> I like thalidomide. I like thalidomide. Yes, he's very clear about it. Uh, <laughs> like, it was. Um, so anyway, it, it caused incredible birth defects, uh, like having children made, born with uh, like, no a arms, generation of flipper babies, which you know gave the great timeless joke: what has a face and two hands but no arms? A thalidomide baby. <laughs> it's not a clock. <laughs> No? You know that joke? <laughs> I think I've heard it on a popsicle. <laughs> That's a weird popsicle. <laughs> it was it was weird. It was a German one. <laughs> was... So, so anyway, the uh, sister named Alicia. Did I get that I right? So. Uh, the sister named Alicia. Um, uh, she talks to one such baby man. <laughs> it, like She's like talking to like this... Halu- what, you, what you find out after a couple of scenes is actually just her hallucinating. Like She's a like genius... Like, she's only, like, 13 or 14 years old, and she's, like, a math genius, and she's, like, going to start going to college, like, going to college classes for, like, physics. And this in this hallucination is, like, talking to her, and they're also, like, talking about physics, but also just, like, weird stuff. It's very an- antagonistic. Uh, yeah, he's a dick to her. He, he, he's, he's obnoxious, and, like, it's a- aggressive towards her, really. Like, the kid... And he's, all, and he's also called... You notice he's called this the kid for the rest of the novel. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just called the Thalidomide kid like once or twice in the beginning, and he's just the kid forever after that. Much like in a different Cormac McCarthy book, which was a western. Which was yeah. a western. The girl she hallucinates a lot, uh, and so that's where my beer comes in. Because could she? Wow. <laughs> in addition, could she also hallucinate uh, <laughs> when the lights go out? <laughs> could she also hallucinate? Unicorn farts after dark. Yes, I think I this think is that, that might be the only thing missing from this book. <laughs> this is doesn't say she doesn't. This is Duclaw, the patriarchy unicorn farts after dark, a chocolate cinnamon crunch breakfast breakfast stout with gold glitter. I want to see that luck. glitter. <laughs> Pray for me. You have. A, you hope you have a glass. You got to see the I glitter in there. How strong is, is it? That? The Drunk Guys Book Club pint glass. Eat. It is, yeah. This is an 8.5% alcohol beer. 
Do they use the unicorn farts to carbonate it? Is that what it's carbonated with? Yeah, good question. Okay. Oh, that's um, could be. It's, yeah, it's kind of dark. I don't, can you see the glitter? I, the last time we had a glitter beer, I didn't see any glitter in it. I think it'd be really funny if nature said, I think like, those are bubble lips at the bottom, not glitter. <laughs> those I are unicorn at- dingleberries, actually. <laughs> <laughs> unicorn fart debris. <laughs> uh, I don't see any glitter. I just don't see any. The pastryarchy. Looking for it. Yeah, I blame the pastryarchy. Well, I want to start drinking, too, because I only got one beer, and we got to do this whole fucking book, so... Yeah, good. let's get drunk first. That'll yeah. help us understand. <laughs> That'll make it more, make it make more sense. Uh, <laughs> this book is about a lot of weird stuff. Um, a lot of it is about death. So <laughs> this book, this beer is called Everything Was Forever Until It Was No More. And it sounds all awesome. Is that, like, a, is that sounds a, like, um, yeah, three. It's an emo album, right? That's yeah. Good. Oh, yeah, that's a Dashboard Confessional album. Um, it also sounds like a sentence in most of Carmen McCarthy's books. Uh, but this I was is trying to think of the band the Dashboard Confessional guy was in before Dashboard Confessional. That sounds more like them. And Ooh. it's uh, Hips, uh, I Want to Cut Myself and Die, whatever the hell they were called, I remember. This is uh, really way more bitter than I expected. I guess I'm just used to, I see Stout and I think this is going to have donuts in it. But <laughs> this is just a straight up fucking like Imperial Stout. It's just high booze and a lot of malt. It's not bad. and It'll fuck you up. But it's a tiny can, so... I'll live, unlike a lot of people in this book. I looked it up. Further Seems Forever. That was the band I was trying oh, to think of. Oh, yeah. That sounds right. Like this beer. <laughs> like understanding in this book. Yeah, understanding is not what this book is for. <laughs> no. No, it's not. So, um, we know the sister's dead, but then it cuts to Bobby Western, and he's working on the salvage ship, and which he, has some... he is a salvage diver. Yes. And so he's about Not to go. Not a holy diver. And so it's the middle of the night, and he and this other guy about are about to do a salvage dive on for a, uh, in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico uh, in Britain, literally like cut their way into a crashed airplane, like an airplane that's like sitting in, you know, 50 feet of water on the floor of the... Gulf of Mexico and just get in just to see what's there, why they couldn't wait till morning. I don't know, but they were told they had to do it right then. So they do. The other guy like has like a underwater welding torch and like, um, or cutting torch and like cuts his way in. And so they, they go into the airplane and they see the like bodies just like hanging there in the water. And they look at, there are a lot of details that I paid a lot of close attention to. Cause I was like, Oh, this is going to be a really interesting mystery. Anyway, Ed, there's a clear, in the cockpit, there is a instrument that's gone. It's just not there. Like one of the cockpit instruments looks like it's been torn out and it's like the black the box other guy thing. Uh, once they once they get back up to the surface, the other guy is like, "You know, I think there was somebody else in that airplane." Like well, they counted all the bodies and then they were there's like, "There's a manifest you know or something." You know, the manifest said there were 13 and they were like, "No, I we uh, I think there was another one." The manifest said there was eight and there was only seven bodies and right. there was something missing from the cockpit. So it was like, either that person took it and left or someone else came here first and took that thing and a body. But I don't know. That's weird. And they're like, yep, well, we did our job. <laughs> Best not worry about that. So, of course, at first I thought the passenger was going to be whoever that missing guy was, that missing person on the airplane. Yeah. Turns actually, out. 
Yeah, I was wondering who. What the fuck is the? It turns out not, because <laughs> you literally yeah. find out nothing else about this for the rest of the book. Nothing else. Well, they imply throughout that there's like some some people are after him, and they're, they don't know. Like, is it because of what they found in the dive, or also? Turns out he and his sister are the children of one of the guys who invented the atomic bomb. So, and then he goes to his grandmother's house and all of his father's research and a bunch of family stuff has been taken from her in a quote-unquote break-in, but they just took his dad's research and some photos and shit. And so he thinks someone is after him and he does not know why. And we don't know either, even though we read the whole book. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And you never find out. Sure. Um, and then, so then the rest of the book, uh, okay, it's a little bit too early to just say, and the rest of the book, just random stuff happens. But that is basically Almost what nothing happens. happens for most of the book. There's just a lot of misleading stuff. Like, it's just a bunch of, a lot of it, like the, a solid two-thirds of it is him hanging around New Orleans at bars with his friends and just talking about shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with characters who never reappear. They do no. reappear once or, or twice. Or some of them reappear sometimes. Well, well but yeah, but like, there's like the trans person, and that passes. I think it does. And I'll say this. She's in there twice. Yeah. Is she? Okay. She gets what? brought back at the end. Oh, no. I was reading that. He, gives, read he gives her the letter, yeah. Oh, okay, fine. The letter from well, his... Because he keeps a bunch of his dead sister's letters that he rewrites. Jerk off, too. Yeah. yeah, because he is in love with his dead little sister. Well, they were twins, right? Or were they not twins? No, no. She was much younger. Oh, okay. Really? I don't know. Well, she's been dead for 10 years at this point. Yes, but she was she was younger. Okay. Maybe not much, but at least five or six years younger. Hmm. Then she's died, and he was like, even hotter. Well, she was actually quite cold. So the so (laughs) Bobby Western The frostbite feels like burning. You find out you find out about some of his like past, which is so like his his family is a kid, you know, and stuff like that. And his father worked on the Manhattan Project. Oh, by the way, this book takes place like in the eighties. It's nineteen eighty. It's nineteen eighty, so um, it, you know, so it was a while ago already, and clearly they didn't have tell cell phones. So, so he started they could writing text it each other in 1980. And oh, he just finished no. it. Kidding. Apparently, he's um, like thinking about it as early as the 70s. I've, I've, read, I've read different, because I read a bunch of reviews to try to understand what the fuck happened. Oh, me too. And it got mentioned multiple times. Like, he's been working on this book since the 80s or the 70s, like different things. And it days. seems like he almost finished it. <laughs> <laughs> just left out. <laughs> He should have just not Anything published us to the 2040s. Then he would have been done. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, or if only Bobby, he started this in the 50s. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> so Bobby and his sister, they, their father worked on the Manhattan Project. And like with, all, you know, who's a physicist on the Manhattan Project and knew all the famous people. Um, and then a, a line later when, when Bobby's talking about how his father was kind of sad at the end of his life, one of the things he was sad about, he's like, yeah, all his friends have Nobel Prizes, but he doesn't. And he was sad about that. And he like a story about how he knew Oppen- his father, knew Oppenheimer, and knew Richard Feynman. And Bobby himself had gone to Caltech to do a PhD, to do a PhD in physics, but never like finished the PhD. And then instead went to Europe to race race cars. I mean, his father obviously should have installed a better door knocker at his house. Because then he would have won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> no? Yeah, he would have. Yeah. I'm going to make it my goal for the rest of this episode to only have popsicle stick jokes until Jimmy laughs at one. <laughs> so uh, you find out about that. and it, But then it's also going back and forth between like the sister and her 
hallucinations and some of the other things. And then Bobby kind of like being sad. And then he would just, and then like people in, you know, suits would come and want to talk to him. Like, we got to ask you some questions about what you saw on that airplane. They're so never even them. that, they're never even that clear though. They're just like, what do you know? He's like, uh, and he doesn't help because one, it's fucking Cormac McCarthy writing it. So nobody says more than three words. And he There's actually like a thousand percent more dialogue in this book than any of his others. Which oh, made yes. it really fucking confusing sometimes because there'd be more than two goddamn people in the scene. Yeah. And, was, and he never uses quotation marks. He's, or a, he's a fucking asshole said about it. Larry. No. I really hate that. I really, <laughs> I, it is pretentious and obnoxious. And I think also his, he doesn't use apostrophes. So no, you get characters who want and don't. <laughs> Because he won't put an apostrophe. He thinks it like clutters the page. What an asshole. <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. Like he's too good for the mechanics of the English language. But the fucking, the people will ask, they'll, they'll show up and they're like cryptic government types who don't even show ID. You know, it's like very paranoid kind of fantasy world where they're like, hey, would you like to ask you some questions? And he's like, I bet you would. Like he never, and they're like, do you know this? And he's like, do you think I know it? And that's how their conversations go. And he'll be like, all right, I'll look at your pictures. These are pictures. Are they? They are. Are you sure? Pretty sure. How sure? <laughs> sure. Like, that's the con- Like that'll be a whole page. And then they're like, we're going to go now. He's like, you do that. Go fuck yourself. And they're like, all right, <laughs> see you soon. And that happens a bunch of times. And, and you're like, what is that supposed to be? Are they even from the same government body are they even from the government it's never really clear and they they go through his house they they uh his apartment or if he has and they tear yeah, through they ask him some pretty specific questions about what they found on the plane that's the first time but then there's the yeah. time when they show him the pictures and they're like, like these are pictures of like uh people that worked with his dad yeah and there's a picture of his dad and he's like but you know this one do i <laughs> yep really indeed like that's okay sure and they be seeing you in hell, goodbye. <laughs> That's the conversation. <laughs> and as a reader, you're like, this is going somewhere, right? It's not. It's with the other passenger. <laughs> Maybe That's it. The passenger took that, not only that part of the plane, but the rest of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the quest. <laughs> I've read, I read, I read a bunch about this to try and figure out what the fuck it was. I, I enjoyed it, even though I don't know what I understood or whatever the fuck, just because I like the way he writes. But it was difficult. And the, like the real, it, it's almost like it wasn't, it was different from a lot, of, a lot of his other shit in terms of like the way it's written, because he's normally like Blood Meridian and The Road and No Country for Old Men. It's just a long like narrations that you have to struggle kind of to keep up with. And this was a lot of talking. Yeah. Until the end when he leaves town forever and he basically becomes like, a Western, but in a truck instead of a horse. And he's like on his own for months or years at a time. And then it becomes basically, like, oh, this is a Cormac McCarthy novel again. But I tried to understand it by seeing what other people said who might have been full of shit or also who the fuck knows. Maybe there isn't a right answer. I don't know if there is. But uh, nothing much happens for most of the book. Nothing. There's no plot. There's no... As what I said, the one things the one of the things I read is like there's no actual progress in any plot. It just kind of it makes just, you just coast think, through it. 
it makes you think that there's going to be one because it starts out with an intriguing mystery, like what happened to that airplane? And I was coming up with like theories in my head. Oh, I, I know what happened. But um, turns out none of that mattered. But then he's like talking to this person. He's like, oh, he's just, you know, kind of talking to some people. This isn't about like the plain mystery plot. There's going to be, this, there's, there's a second plot line going on here. And it's like, uh, well, nope, not really. It's just him and talking so he talks about to, shit to people. Like he has a long, he has, it's a series of long conversations. One of which is like the, like the Vietnam vet. That was a great Vietnam, passage. Though. Yeah, it was a great passage. It's like, what the fuck were we there for? It's almost like a series of like short stories of people in bars. A lot of it is in bars. Well, he's in New Orleans. What else is there are, to do? Who are we to judge? Um, <laughs> it wasn't Mardi Gras. There is a part, though. Not as, there's a long conversation. Well, a medium-sized conversation where it's not a bar when he goes to his grandma's house. And do you remember what he does there with her first? One of the first things he does after he drives there in his Maserati at an incredible speed. I don't know. She makes him a snack. Do you remember oh. what it was? Because <laughs> I had to drink this beer. And What's I tried. Pancakes? <laughs> it wasn't pancakes. She makes him a, it's like a pork sandwich. Right? She makes him a pork chop or something like that, which would make him a bit of a pig destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if I nailed it or completely fucked up the assignment this week. You could have used that for the 90s for a cop killer. <laughs> I would have, if I had it last week, I would have tried to. <laughs> also, the, the real title of this beer is Permanent Funeral, which what? could apply for everything. Permanent Funeral. This is a collaboration between Three Floyds and the grindcore band Pig Destroyer. Jesus. Like, Those are words. They must work somewhere. And here we are. It is a double IPA that's 10.5% alcohol and was canned recently. So I'm kind of excited because Three Floyds is, is famous in the beer world. It's kind of like, you know, early 2000s, really exciting beer. But they only recently started distributing it to get it in New York. And it's like their weakest, not most exciting ones. And they're usually kind of old, at least in my experience. So I was excited to see this thing like just canned. And I'll be trying it. Let's see how it is. That tastes like an IPA from 2006. That is intensely bitter. Much what's like the, the pigs would feel. Beer? It's called Permanent Funeral. I mean, that also works for the book. Of course, but, but <laughs> Pig dies. Destroyer is, is much funnier. Is there another kind of funeral? Yeah, temporary ones. Have you heard of zombies? <laughs> you, you fucking think for a minute, Nate. Jesus. Clearly you've never <laughs> heard of Buddhism, you bigot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, uh, MIA had that uh, song, Yala, for You Always Live Again. Oh, that's... Because she's a Hindu. <laughs> Thank that that simplifies things. <laughs> Sometimes. So yeah, this is this is a pretty intense beer, but I, I dig it. So he has a pork sandwich with his grandma, <laughs> <laughs> which and that's sounds like he, a euphemism for a guy who was in love with his sister, but it is not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy's had a lot of pork sandwiches with his grandma. You can tell <laughs> he looks like that type. There is a part, a different part, um, when he's talking to the guy who's like insane and living in the woods and just shooting guns at cockroaches. Borman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where they reminisce about another character who I couldn't keep track of. That was someone who was in the book or they just talk. He was the guy who was... um, The guy who died? partner. Yeah. Who died, right? And he tells... And the guy earlier on, he's like, oh, you go on that job, it's easy money. What do you have to lose? And the guy dies. Yeah. But there's a part there... And then he's paranoid, like, did they kill him off because of the plane? Does it matter? 
Doesn't matter. Who knows? Did you guys get like crying of lot 49 kind of Absolutely. vibes? Absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. When I was at first, you know, for the first half, I'm like, thought it was some, something was going to happen. And then when it got to the end and it's like nothing, nothing is happening. It's this also, is just like crying of lot 49. It's also kind of like the trial where like he's, yeah, also he, get, he gets these quote unquote government employees after him and halfway through the book, the IRS freezes his bank accounts and they repossess his car. But he doesn't know what he's in trouble for. Right. But they're coming he, for him. Who knows? Well, there's a part where they're reminiscing there and there's, I don't know what we're talking about, old fucking old people or something. Like that. And they're talking about the guy named... The guy is talking about how he likes to fuck old women. Fuck old women. And and I, I just was reading this on the train. I was literally... I could not stop laughing at this <laughs> passage. It was so... It didn't need to be in this book. It was, but it was. was, No one of these conversations needed to be in the book, but they're all there. But I just, it was one of the funniest things I've ever, like, just because, like, I was reading this book, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. I'm mad that I have to read this. This is stupid. This old fucking man should just not make books. And then, oh, wait, I remember this part. (laughs) So then it's like, he's talking. I don't even know who's talking because how would you know unless I went back to the beginning of the chapter and started counting lines. But it says, you've got me confused with Jerry Merchant. If they weren't on Social Security, he wasn't even interested. I looked <laughs> in on him one time when he was tra- staying with me up over the Napoleon, and he had somebody's grandmother in the bed. She tried to pull the sheets up, but he just pulled them off in the floor and stood there grinning. She looked like a goddamn bog person. <laughs> she put her hands over her face like that was going to help. I didn't even want to think about him putting her through the kind of sexual indignities he was partial to. Of course, the more I tried not to think about it, the more I thought about it. (laughs) I I still can't. I've read this four times. This this like this can't like what did I, did I miss something? Did I skip pages? No, he's talking about got a fucking an incredibly old woman, and then just like, like the scene. Like imagine, whoa, hey, I'm sorry, I walked in on you fucking there. He's like, oh, it's okay. Look at this. It's an old lady. He just pulls the like he's if he's pulling the tablecloth off of when leaving the dishes on the table. Look at this old bag. And the old lady's mortified, and he's like, it's someone's grandma. It was. I have to imagine he's ass naked at this point too. Oh yeah, he's just holding that sheet up with his boner. <laughs> it's only there. It makes no sense. It, but it was the it was the climax of the book. The best part of the book was right there. <laughs> uh, prove me wrong. Find me a better part of the book. That is it. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> there's really. I mean, the problem is there's really no order to any of it before uh, before before he leaves town forever. The order of it is indistinguishable. He well, has a he has a really long conversation about physics with a guy that was. Oh my god! I had either, no idea what was happening there. It was either really advanced or total nonsense. I really couldn't tell because it was. I just didn't know what they were talking. Well, apparently, Cormac McCarthy has been like part of some physics institute for the He's last. He's been five nerding years. out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I recognized, like, some of the terms and some of the things that sounded legit, but I definitely don't know how accurate it is, but I got the feeling it was. Cormac McCarthy is very good at using words I've never heard and be like, okay, sure, 
That's part of his thing. There, yeah. I actually, I, I highlighted a sentence where it was like, I had to look up four words in this <laughs> fucking sentence. <laughs> like, you gotta be kidding me. This is, a, this is, it's technically, it's two sentences. Still a lot of words. In that sentence. dusky penetralium, they press about the crucible, shoving and gibbering while the deep heresis, uh, fucking, heuristic? I looked this up. No, it's not heuristic. I know that word, at least on paper from Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> the deep heresiarch, dark, in his folded cloak, urges them on in their efforts. Period. <laughs> and then, what thing unspeakable is this raised dripping up through crust and calyx from what hellish marinade? This sounds like Mad Libs done by that guy who cut off his own dick when they made the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> that is... I had to look up all those words, and one of them's not in the fucking dictionary. <laughs> Penetralium, which is absolutely a metal band. That has it should to be. be if it isn't. It's a very gay metal band. <laughs> all their songs uh, are Judas about Priest. glory holes. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at Penetralium. Oh, my God. It is, it is the Inner Sanctum. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a gay metal band. The Inner Sanctum Pen- being the male prostate? Uh, obviously. Penetralium, a song by Talanus. Okay, that Talanus Morissette. Uh, Oh, it's a UK extreme metal band. Absolutely. Extreme metal. Extreme metal. Regular metal was not sufficient. They put the entire fist in. So what what are those words? Penetralium. Okay. In the dusky penetralium, that dusky penetralium, they press about the crucible shoving and gibbering while the deep... Heresiarch, which I actually kind of figured out is it means like the leader of a heretic, 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 what's the adjective of heretical, thank you, heretical group, it's like the (laughs) anti-pope, dark in their full, in his folded cloak urges them on in their efforts, and then what thing unspeakable in his rays dripping up through crust and calyx, C-A-L-Y-X, fucking dumb Greek word is that, oh, it's part of a flower, (laughs) <laughs> it's like those like little green petals on the outside of a flower when the flower is like still a bud. Oh, okay. It's like the That's thing that a, holds the bud in. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know how you hold the bud in when you're in the penetralium, but <laughs> <laughs> First, like this guy, he's like, "Let me I'm going to I'm going to find a thesaurus that's only used by necromancers and write this book." <laughs> That reminds me of, I was searching for the Punishment book today, and I, there was one I saw, it was something called, like, Does God Love Michael's Two Daddies? But <laughs> the author's name was Sheila Butt. <laughs> I didn't pick that one, though. That's too easy, like one too, of Michael's daddies easy. was. <laughs> I found, we were, we were kind of nervous there because uh, Z Library has been closed, and uh, I found my way back in. But I, I, I had knew I had picked my book like a month or two ago, and I, I couldn't find where I downloaded because I have so much shit on my computer downloaded that is you know not supposed to be there. So I panicked. That's when me and Nate were prepa- we were prepping. We could have been learning about this book. We were like, no, no, I need to make sure I find the punishment book. And I, I thankfully found. Thank goodness for archive.org where they have all sorts of other dumb nonsense. But yeah. Nate. Nate might have to actually pay human money for his book. I might. Oh, God. For three copies of it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, we have 
Patreon money. What good? That's what it's for. <laughs> oh, we haven't mentioned the Patreon yet this episode. So if you want to support the podcast, <laughs> you can head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club where you can exchange money to make sure that we make each other read shitty books, apparently. We've um, always met it so far on hosting the website and Nate buying shit books to make us hurt. <laughs> we've spent it on beer and, and beer. And beer, yeah. But now that Zeal yeah, is a fucking close- Scientology book, Nate. I will be very upset with you. It is not. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can head over there. You get all sorts of stuff like exclusive content, early access to episodes, vote in our monthly book poll, uh, join us for our quarterly live episodes, get stuff mailed to you, discounts on merch, all sorts of other cool things. And if you suggest a book there, we always listen. Just you know, in our own time. And if, if that's not your thing, that's cool too. You could always uh, help us out by leaving a positive review uh, and uh, telling your friends. Just don't wait till they die in a plane crash and then disappear from the wreckage to tell them. Or from the plot. (laughs) 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 Or not just from the plot, but have the whole plot disappear. (laughs) And so you don't find out what happens to them. I think that's fair. (laughs) Nor will you in the second book because it's a prequel. (laughs) (laughs) What an asshole. You know, all the reviews I've been reading about this, like, what a great swan song novel or farewell novel, because the dude's about to be 90. So, you know, how many more novels could he really have in him? How many treacle walkers does he have? Oh, God. Well, that's, that's a good better question. better treacle walker. This, treacle walker or this. At least treacle walker was short. <laughs> Very I, short. I, I read that in an hour. I was like, I don't know what happened. I read this in many hours and then thought, I don't know what happened. <laughs> so it didn't help. But, uh, but they're like, this old, it's like, maybe, maybe we should be saying this old man should not have written another book. Like, because at this point, Carmen McCarthy has won pretty much every award except for maybe this old man shouldn't have written this last book. Like, maybe, maybe he was done. Maybe he should have just been retired. And like, well, maybe that's, I have, Thoughts on that that I had earlier that I forgot that I'll remember later. That's the theme of this entire podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, I mean, <laughs> uh, there were plenty of very nice passages in the book, and passages. even jurors. No, there's and, only one. <laughs> uh, only one. Uh, and even though a lot of it is made up of like conversations with just random people, not random people, but. You know, more or less random people. Random actually. to us. Yeah. Random, random, you know, just long conversations. Not part of the plot. <laughs> and, and those were, like, usually, like, well done. But they were also about so many weird, just random topics. Anyway, like so... The JFK like, assassination? It, that was very random. But they were, like, well done and everything. Like, the main problem is that the there is... That the... There's kind of no plot. Well, it's not just that there's no plot. It's that there's no resolution. It, like, gives you something to start out with. Like, there's going to be a plot in the book, and then there is none. Like, in The Road, he gets, you know, they spend all this time getting to the ocean, getting to the sea, and then he, like, you know, and then, you know, the man dies. The plot is literally them moving forward. Yes, moving forward, they get there, and then they get to the destination, and then stuff happens, and then it's resolved, and the end. This is like, you start out with a thing, and then a bunch of random stuff happens, and maybe he's being chased, and then he like leaves the country, 
but then he's just there living on an island. Yeah. That's it. And so, like, where's the resolution? Like, what happened to the plane? Why is it even called the passenger? Who is the passenger? You know, he, nothing... Uh, d- does he live there for the rest of his life, or does he just die there? Or uh, literally, there's no resolution. I read it's not things. even that there's an ambiguous resolution. It could have <laughs> gone this way or that way. No, it just... It just ends. It's a choose your own destiny. It just uh, ends with the main character like feeling sad. See, I think the thing is, it's not your choose your own destiny. I think the point of it, the way I the way I read it, in the end, what I rationalize it, maybe this is uh, the one one review was like, maybe this is just someone you know is a Stockholm system, a Stockholm syndrome, identifying with your abuser, saying that you like this book because you <laughs> just like it's great. I think to like it him, hurts yeah. me. Um, but I think that's true for a lot of authors late in their career. Yeah, there's a whole, a whole other thing about how this is like, oh, it's late and he's doing whatever he wants and that's impressive. And it's like, oh, yeah, maybe, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. Maybe that should have been his journal. But it was like, I, I think the point is that it's called The Passenger because he has no fucking control over anything going on. And every time he tries to take control, it's taken away from him. Literally in the book, sometimes... Like they took his car when he was a race car driver. He his car exploded and he was he got he has a gimpy leg or some shit, doesn't he now or something like that? And now he can't drive anymore. He still drives his car fast, but they take it from him. He was and doing they, Formula Two, which I didn't look. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's like I, I think it's like this, the minor I leagues. wondered the same thing. It's like oh, I've heard of Formula One. It I'm never pretty, occurred to me there might be a Formula is, Two is or Formula, Formula Three. Is Formula Two like the new Coke of gasoline? Like, listen, that one's pretty good. Let's try. I want to say it's like the minor leagues. I hope that they're like on leaded gas or something. (laughs) So they're very aggressive because the formula has to do with gasoline, isn't it? What it is, isn't it? Okay, F two teams don't build their own cars. Our calls, our call, all cars are exactly the same. Formula One teams, like every team, like the engineering of the car is part of the thing. So F two, they all have the same car. So it's all about trying to find uh, the best. Okay, best driver is the, the only best, best the only uh, the only part of the equation you can do anything about is just be the best driver. But F one is still like the cool one that everyone likes because Rayleigh okay. will handle the fucking difference between the car. Well, who the fuck wants who wants to know that you're watching the minor leagues? I mean, it's it's you know besides people that watch the Brooklyn Cyclones. <laughs> Why would Some you? people like the Brooklyn Cyclones. Well, because the tickets are like a, the price of a beer. So I've been to like you... two or three Sea Dogs games in Portland. What, what are the? What are the? I don't even know what sport that is. I think it's the Red Sox uh, that's farm baseball. team. Yeah. Well, there you go. Educational it's fine, podcast. Yeah. It's very cheap, and the food is uh, food and drinks are also cheap. That's nice. Um, so the whole point, I guess, I don't know, is also I guess part of it also is that you know his sister died, and he at that point in his life basically also died emotionally and stop trying to do anything ever again. Right. He, he gave up on his, you know, he was almost as brilliant as her, but he gave up on, he gave up on the physics stuff before she died because he, he knew he was never like his dad. He knew he was good, but he was never good enough to really like do the interesting stuff. And his history was too good. Like she was too good for physics. Like physics was rudimentary. Like she had to do pure math. There's well, a passage near the supposed end. To impure when she, math. It's dirty. Yeah. That's 69. <laughs> <laughs> 69 plus 420 in oh, the pure yeah. math. 
And uh, he just kept telling me, like, hey, how about I give you a 68, right? Want to ask me what that is? What do you think? What do you, yeah? What do you, you know what a 68 is, right? And she's like, oh my God, dude. You're my brother. <laughs> Nate, do you, know, do you know what a 68 is, Nate? <laughs> no? <laughs> Jamie, do you know what a 68 is? Yes, I do. 68 is, uh, you, you just blow me and I owe you one. <laughs> it's a 68. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the impure path. <laughs> So uh, there's this passage near the end where she's like, like, I don't write down the math because when you write yes. it down, then it like br- you bring it into being and then so, then it's like real, too real to do anything with. And, and, and she has this whole thing, but she's literally doing math problems in her head I mean, the whole it, time, which apparently uh, Richard Feynman, uh, same thing. He was like, this was, I don't know why I know this, but his second wife who was divorcing him said like he's doing calculus problems in his head morning noon and night he's just always doing these math problems in his head in a way a that made him very distracted and you know from everything else from blowing up the japanese well this was later well see, that passage was important i think but also it it's not that only it's not only that it uh makes it real it's that writing something down confines it, she thought. Like, once you put it down on paper, that's what it is, and you can no longer maybe go somewhere else with it. it it's limiting, which is a belief in Taoism, which is, you know, the Tao is, you know, the way. Like, what does that mean? Like, well, you can't really define it, because if you define it, it limits what it actually is. So she's doing that same thing with, like, you know, math and Really, what it, reality, I think, is her point. Because she's schizophrenic also. She doesn't know what the fuck is real and what is not. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what she's saying. Like, okay, like, I don't know what we're supposed to, as a reader, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, is he, am I supposed to read this book and be like, oh, the nature of reality cannot be expressed in I mean, that might be what he's and doing. And that's also part of it is like, he's 90 and... Maybe it is like his, I don't know if his last book. I mean, who the fuck knows? It took him 16 years to write these two. But if it's, you're going to write a book that says you cannot express certain concepts in writing, and then you put it in a book. Yeah, but we still don't a get it. Bold move. <laughs> right? For your theme. Because Some he, things he never can't be written down, he wrote. <laughs> okay. But he doesn't write it down uh, clearly, certainly. Oh, no. He purposely obfuscates. Maybe the whole thing is just him as an old man yelling at people on his lawn. Old man yells at Cloud? Yeah, this is it. But it's but it's him, so you have to use, like, obscure vocabulary. You have to say atavism, atavistic, at least four times. Geriatric man meanders into the plight of the, ply- the land that has been plowed before him to bellow at the zephyr. <laughs> 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 You're like, oh yeah, it's Cormac McCarthy, right? Yeah, yeah that sounds right. <laughs> Bellow at the Zephyr is a is a great album name. Uh, that's that's one I've had way too much White Castle. <laughs> that's what's happening. <laughs> that's the bellowing of the Zephyr. The bellowing of the Zephyr is. Uh, I think that was a Frank Zappa album. Actually, that was is very very odd, experimental. That's what it says when you open up a Crave case. It's for it's for the wind whole, ensemble. The <laughs> It's just it's just tubas. <laughs> For tubas in six part. 
<laughs> so yeah, there's there's other passages. Like, some of the some of the passages we said were really like riveting or just beautifully written. Because I do like as much as I shit on. Like, I think it's obnoxious that he won't use quotation marks <laughs> or commas or apostrophes. Like he's above it. I could I can get on board. Like don't don't credit the um or uh, uh what's the, what's the word for attribute? Yeah, the speaker. There are plenty of writers that don't do that. You know, our, our yeah, it's common hold. not to do it. It's not common to do it for every single exchange for the whole book. Yeah, in fact, it's like oftentimes when you know you're reading a shitty writer, is <laughs> yeah. it every single line is like, "What do you mean?" He asked. I'm just saying, she said, like, and then that's when you know you're reading something. Like, but there must be something in between. One one review I read was like, I forget what it was exactly, but it was like, Cormac McCarthy is the great at like straddling the fence between being incredible and being a pretentious dickhead. I think he fell off the fence in this book. Um, onto his lawn. <laughs> he plummeted from the dividing barrier between lands onto the grassy knoll in front of his abode. Well, the grassy knoll was a cover-up because the mob wanted to kill Robert Kennedy in this and they're book. they're like, I mean... That's this, this is where the book becomes nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are lots of cool passages. I was trying to say that's what I was trying to get to. There are lots of cool passages that are wi- interestingly written. Where you're like, man, I'm loving this. This is this is. I don't, it doesn't, I don't know what it means. I don't know where it's going. But like the like the Vietnam passage stands out to me. And the guys, uh, I forget yeah. who it was. It was one of the guys on the fucking diving rig, right? Yeah, just it was one of the And they're dudes. like, what was that like? And he's like, you really want to know? It fucking sucked ass. And they're like, no, seriously, tell us. And then he tells about being like shot down from the helicopter and how like pretty much everyone died and how fucking terrible it was. And like, then it was over. And then they fucking gave me a medal or whatever it was. And I fucking re enlisted. And you're like, Jesus Christ, that was a, it was an intense like 15 pages of book or whatever it was. I don't know what it meant. I don't know why it was there. It certainly didn't need to be there. But I don't think he's a careless writer, so it must have been there for a reason, and that's why I'm kind of, I guess I'm, I'm mad at him. But he's an old man, so I can't be <laughs> mad at him too much. I'm disappointed in me. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had done better and understood this more. I, but this is this is more than any. This is my fourth Cormac McCarthy book. I think I need to, I need some. I need my handheld for this, and I have no idea. I have no idea what was going on in all the school passages. I have read. All of his books. It's been a while since a bunch of them. Where would you rate this one? Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, it's hard. Like, because Blood Meridian, The Road, and No Country for Old Men are all incredible. So, like, that's a given. Then, like, Suchery was very, very good. But also, a, a, I think longer than this, where nothing yes. happens. Nothing happens. And I, I have heard people say that, like, Suchery is their favorite book of his. I think it's definitely his most like, I want to say, if you're like into like literature, it's probably, you know, literary. Like one of our fucking patrons or fans did his whole fucking dissertation on it. And I liked it, but I would say I didn't get it. Otherwise, you know, it was, it was definitely good because it, he's, 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 a, he's a great writer. Whether or not something's happening doesn't always matter. But then there's like really fucked up ones like child of God about a guy who finds a dead girl in the woods in the winter and spends a long time fucking it in his attic. That's the whole book. That's, that's wrong. I didn't say it was wrong. I said, that's the book. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, Oh, okay, well this is weird. So I think this one is, it's up there. I think it's, it's, it's less like 
that one's like straightforward, like, oh, this is dark. And, you know, he, he doesn't write happy books. Though, you know, there is his trilogy that maybe we'll read one day, the, the All the Pretty Horses. The, the border the ones. One yeah. They're very good, but they are, like, this is the first one in a long time that's not like a Western or takes place in, like, what might as well be the West. Not like such as a Western or a child guy, but the, you know, rural shit. This is just taking place in bar. This is way more talking and way more people. And it's his first time of any significance writing a female character. <laughs> he doesn't really do that. That's true. Yeah, they're all dudes. No, he, he has said, like, I don't understand women, so I'm not going not gonna to try. <laughs> Which is fair. I'm like, all right, you, you do. You were the guys just murder right, people what you know. and blow people up and shoot others. Yeah, not that, like, like, he knows about being a Western. He's from fucking Connecticut or Rhode Island. But he well, so one of the things that I read or oh, the, how this was the semi autobiographical, yes, yeah, because he is he was born in Rhode Island, but was raised in I want to say Tennessee, raised in Tennessee, where his dad was part of the TVA that laid flooding people's fucking towns and shit. But they they built the electrical system that powered the area that led to the plant where they did the Manhattan Project research. Oak Ridge. Yeah. But there is a, a mentioned in the book, uh, when he go when uh, uh Bobby Western goes to the grandma's house, they talk she's she's talking about her I guess it's her father or her uncle or her grandfather some some couple of generations back. They they built that house by hand. Every piece of wood they planed themselves and they joined it and they did all this shit. And that's sitting at the bottom of a lake now. Yeah. Like that's just a and you read it and you're like, man, that's fucking that's a real thing. You know, he gives despite, you know, these like really sparse descriptions sometimes, or these like you're like you don't even know who's talking. There's like incredible like, emotion sometimes in these passages. You're like, oh fuck, yeah, that's like there's, a there's whole great... bunch of people's fucking history and culture just, just wiped out. Some fucker in a wheelchair said to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a whole passage there about how her grandfather, whatever it was, they built this log cabin from scratch. She's like, I don't even know how they, they didn't even know how to build it. They couldn't even read. How did they make a house? I don't know, but it was an amazing house. Well, like, and also it's gone. It could be, you know, one of the common things people say about the book is like, his name is Western because he represents Western civilization and how. Now we have the nuclear weapons, and we're all doomed. And civilization Maybe. is dead, like him. I hope he's not that's that blunt and yeah, stupid. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I yeah. I, I just thought it was funny because it was like oh, I only write westerns, so this guy's name is Western. Ha ha. Get it? Just <laughs> again, this is where it's, it reminded me of uh, Crying of Lot Forty Nine. Like, am I reading meaning into this? It doesn't matter. Like Stella Maris. I'm like, is that like Star of the Sea? It's the name of the mental hospital that she's in. Yeah, but like that. Then Latin. Then Latin. That's what that means. Yeah. So I know. Where there's no no C in Wisconsin. Um, There there actually is a C in Wisconsin. Damn it. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a K this whole time. (laughs) There used to be a Stella Maris uh, High School in Queens. It was a girls' Catholic school closed about a dozen years ago. The priests were like, girls, gross. And then they <laughs> <laughs> What's the point of this thing? It was in like Jamaica. Um, yeah, so there's all these these things that like, this must mean something. 
but I don't, I'm not the type of reader to figure it out. There was one thing so, I read, I forget where, one of these things was like progress and time wipe out individual cultures, not in like a colonialism way, but just as time moves on, everything gets homogenized a little bit. Or just forgotten. Or a lot. Yeah. It's like those little communities wiped out literally by the sea, but also just by having power. Well, they were like, you know, hill people living off the land, and suddenly you have electricity, and you don't need to do that shit anymore. And it was a sad... that You know, in the jug band world, that's the day the music died. <laughs> toot, toot. <laughs> it's the funeral, funeral march of the jug band. <laughs> <laughs> The permanent funeral. <laughs> oh, hey. Um, that's what the book that. is about, about yeah. the death of hillbilly music. I think it was that guy. Roscoe, uh, what the fuck is his name? I want to say Peterson, uh, but I'm making that up. No, Conklin? like Roscoe, Roscoe Holcomb or something like that. This is a fucking... Well, the, guy who actually, the, the guy who sang... Yeah, Roscoe Holcomb is the guy who sang I'm a Man of Constant Sorrow, uh, the original, at least the earliest version I've ever Oh, I only know that from... Uh, yeah, oh, brother, no, where art thou? Oh, brother, where art thou? But uh, you, you go find a video, and it's it's like an old, toothless man, and then you find out he's like thirty three. <laughs> from, <laughs> from the it's like a video from nineteen fifty eight. Like this man just spent his entire childhood in a coal mine, and he just comes out and just sings at the hoot nannies. <laughs> he just sings about. Shit, you're like, oh my God, what a... And he dies a, by the time he's 36. Yeah, ridiculous. And ridiculous it's like, he wasn't character. singing, he was just telling He was just telling everybody what's up. I, I have a friend who loves bluegrass music, and, it's like, dude, and he's like, you gotta check this out. And I'm like, this is, this is painful. This is like not pleasant to hear. He's like, that's that high lonesome sound. It's like, no wonder they're fucking alone. It's... <laughs> Unlistenable, <laughs> <And> like <laughs> just out of tune caterwauling from a hillbilly. I don't know it's their word, but I said it. I said it with a soft R. And <laughs> it's a soft it's Y. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's a soft Y at the end of it. And hillbilly, hillbilly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just terrible, terrible music. Um, but anyway, the book. I don't know. I have I ran out of things to say because I have fucking no idea what happens. I don't I don't get it. I don't nothing I really happens. Don't. I tried really hard. Nothing I read happens. multiple articles that I didn't have to I could clear my cookies and still read from <laughs> from The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> you take it away, guys. I mean I just wish it had a plot that resolved. Just give me a plot that it resolved. I literally, I gave it three stars when I gave it a rating a couple minutes ago. If it had a plot that resolved, I probably would have given it five because I would have been like, oh, oh, the closure. Oh, this is so good. Oh, something finally (laughs) happened. Thank you. But it didn't. It just ends with nothing, which almost as bad as Crying of Lot 49. And so, like, what was this about? I think... That and you know, I know this is some because you could uh, have a lot of nothing happen until the end, and then suddenly it gets resolved. That's not what happens. Yeah, there's I, a thing in the beginning that's interesting, and then random stuff, and then no resolution, and then the end. I, I know it. It sounds pretentious, and it's one of those things that if I heard it elsewhere, I'd be like, "Oh fuck, whatever." I, okay, sure, and I still kind of feel that way about it. But maybe if he's 
the quote unquote passenger. And if the book is about, you know, not having any control, there is no resolution. Like if he's just living his life, humans don't have a resolution. Shit just ends. Okay. But passenger, uh, it sort of, you know, indicates some sort of journey and journeys usually have some sort of destination, that you could get to, but this life. book didn't have that. <laughs> but he didn't die at the end. He, he just died, sort of like... He effectively died years ago. He's just living, but he doesn't want to. So have him kill himself at the end. I don't know. I mean, that's not a happy ending, but it would fit with Cormac, with a Cormac McCarthy book. But uh, Maybe it just, it'll give us some resolution in the other one, but I don't think it does. <laughs> Because it's a prequel, so how could it? I mean, it could jump around. There could be a little thing at the end saying, and then he jumped off of the lighthouse, or he took a pill in Ibiza, and he died. I suppose it's That's possible. a contemporary reference for everybody. Took a pill in Ibiza. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the book, he's living in Ibiza. Was it, was it to show Avicii he was cool? Well, that's, yes. Though Avicii is also dead, so that was, that's the next. That There's a song, Nate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I got that. What I was going to say is apparent, <laughs> there could be something in the other book that's not out yet that somehow makes the passenger make sense. No, I think in the reviews I've read, they've gotten like advanced copies to like reviewers. Yeah. And from what I've read, no, Why can't we they get don't. those? I mean, we probably could if we asked, but we didn't ask. I, I don't want that. Not, not for a book as famous, not for something <laughs> as famous as Cormac. We have, we've, been, we've been offered some stuff. We've been, we've been offered pre release stuff, yeah. And it's all trash. No, it's not Occasionally, it's like, hey, that person wrote a real book. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, but it sucked, so I don't want to read it. God damn it. I had that so fucking I... Pilled in Ibiza song in my head. Um, <laughs> is that Mike Posner or something like that? I don't fucking name? have any idea who the fuck it is. I took a bill in Ibiza. Uh, I hope he like says it with the... D- you could just tell... I can't... You know, I was wondering... It's like the, cause, no, it's, it's uh, that, that scene in the third Batman where it's like... He's going to go off to Ibiza. It's like, actually, it's Ibiza. Like, no, actually, it's not Ibiza. It's Ibiza. Like, you're both wrong. Is this Batman and Robin? This is uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, uh, when is... I was talking to Catwoman at the party, and she's like, you know, going off to your parties, you fucking rich people going off, hanging out in in Ibiza. It's like, actually, it's Ibiza. No, dickhead. That's not um, how they say it either. But, but then somebody tried to correct Christian Bale, and he threw a tantrum. So well, it's because his teeth are too big for his mouth. His teeth are too little. They're tiny. No, his, tiny his, his, you his, pointed his, his out lips, his lips stick out because of his weird little little mouth teeth. You pointed out he has little teeth, and he's now little, he's a little tiny I, mouth. My, you ruined my man crush for me because he was one of my man crushes. He could play that skin flute like a recorder. <laughs> <laughs> He plays it like a harmonica. He's got perfect dick-sucking teeth. <laughs> the dick-sucking teeth. It's what you look for. I think it's a Limp album. <laughs> it's right after $3 bill. <laughs> That's how you pay for it. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess I've got to know. <laughs> you just uh, trying to think about a, another Did fucking Limp Bizkit song. <laughs> Yeah, I want someone who sucks dick like they're eating corn on the cob. <laughs> <laughs> You're playing a harmonica. Like a That's typewriter ribbon. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, I like this book. It was not perfect. It wasn't even necessarily great, but I liked it. I don't know who I would recommend it to. 
unless you're like a big Cormac McCarthy fan, which I am, which is part of the reason I liked it. I'm, I'm, I liked the individual segments. I don't necessarily understand the whole thing or even a little bit of it, maybe. Or, you know, it's one of those things that you can put your own interpretation on and whatever the fuck. Who, who's to say I'm wrong? Many people, but whatever. Cormac McCarthy could say we're wrong, <laughs> but he doesn't do any interviews, so that's fine. No, he's certainly not. Oprah, where he just kept asking uh, how, how it was like to be rich. And I was like, fuck off, Oprah. I've never watched that interview. It's stupid. Well, it's yeah. It's really stupid. I'm sure Oprah asked a dumb question. She, she like, asked a lot, your a lot about what it's like to be rich. She asked him? She asked him, like, oh, yeah. First of all, she's a billionaire, but she asked him a lot of questions about, like, how rich he was. Weird shit like that. Like, but he was poor for decades. So it kind of, I mean, I it mean, could he wasn't be interesting poor, to ask. Poor, he, He's famous for never, like, even when he was not a successful writer, he refused to do another job. He's kind of an asshole. Like, might be why he's been divorced multiple times. To, to not take another, like, hey, no one's buying your novel. We need to pay the rent. He's like, I must create. <laughs> he's probably an <laughs> asshole. So I, I could understand, like, if you kind of got there in the interview and started with that, like, what was that like? Why were you so committed to this? Why did you insist on this? And then how do you feel now that you are successful? Do you think like, it was worth it? No, or it, was, it wasn't anything that... that um, no, she just that like, insightful. look under your chairs, everybody. You get a car. And you get a copy like, of The Road. <laughs> <laughs> car Mac McCarthy. <laughs> McCarthy. You get two cars. And they're to drive on... What are you going to drive it on, guys? The, the Blood Meridian. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drive it two after dark. country for old men. Yeah. Oh shit. Is that Lesbos? The island of Lesbos is the no country for old men? Yes. No? Terrible joke. I'm sorry. I was trying I gotta get more dad I said I'd try to do more dad jokes. I've I've given up on that project. Nate uh so So we're gonna I wouldn't I you know, I have to admit, while the book has very nice passages and passengers, I would (laughs) don't know if I would necessarily recommend it to anybody because they would just go, hey, what the fuck happened in that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of not a typical book, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone. Yeah, it's, I liked it, and I'm not going to recommend it to anybody. Oh, God. More no, like I'm it's a high-risk recommendation. Could They could go, oh, yeah, I loved it. Or they would also go, like, what the fuck was that? Like and if, if I they told s- someone my favorite author is Cormac McCarthy, like what should I read by him? It would never be this to start off with. If you recommended it to someone and they were like, "Oh, thanks for recommending it, I loved it," wouldn't you be like, "Why?" <laughs> like, They're like, "Really? Can you tell what me what happened? What did you get out of that? Yeah, <laughs> help me then. I that was a test. <laughs> what did you get from this?" And then they say, "I lied. I didn't read it. I didn't. I read watched it. America's Next Top Model season fourteen again." <laughs> <laughs> It's like I get it. That was that probably was better. <laughs> that probably was easy. That it was definitely easy to understand. Just as much conversation about um, Vietnam, though, which was odd. But uh, you know, whatever. I yeah. I, I I so the first three books of his I read, I thought were great. I don't actually don't remember what we said on the No Country for Old Men episode because that was one where Jimmy wasn't there. So it was just me and Nate. I had so, to leave immediately before recording that one. You did. Jimmy had incredible diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't I, stay. I had to throw out that carpet. And so... <laughs> I threw um, out my house. <laughs> it's like, I'll show you projects. This is... Everything's ruined in here. Uh, but seriously, 
the three that I read, my recollection of now, I, I certainly know I liked Blood Meridian and I liked The Road. I'm pretty sure I liked No Country for Old Men a, good, a great deal. I had high hopes for this. Because actually those are like, well, not quite. Like the, the Road and No Country for Old Men are his previous two novels. I'd forgotten that, that no country, so old men, no country for Old Men from 2005. I always assumed it was older. Uh, I didn't realize it was like a year before The Road. Mm. Um, and Blood Marines from the 80s, 85 or something like that. Yeah. I liked them a lot. And I would reread those books. I'd reread any of those books if I had time, ever had time for this prison that is this podcast. <laughs> it is very <laughs> confining. <laughs> I would love to read that again in 20 years when I can. <laughs> But it's not a prison. It's more like a burden we have to bear. Like, if I can ever put my burden down. Yeah, it's the Sisyphean task of doing this. Of getting a fucking literary train run on us for years. There's <laughs> <laughs> so many paper cuts in my butthole. But this book was not... There was, I, I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. I'm not sure what to rate it, honestly, because... There are some passages I really liked, but overall, like, the experience of reading it was frustrating and <laughs> difficult and just pissed me off. Like life? Sure, but don't, don't, you, don't you dare try to turn that shit around and be like, <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that was the lesson all along. Well, we're recording this now, but we'll be recording the other <laughs> one. we are. Yeah, we'll be recording the other one later, but they'll both come out... <laughs> The same week, right? So that's maybe, the plan. Maybe by the time we read the Unless second we one, change our minds. we'll reflect on it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking read it anyway. So I didn't come this far," said the man. In the yes, Olympic said the man with the throwing genius. contest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to read it. I, I, I actually reading this. I was like, oh, this is old man past his prime. I want to go back and read the other ones I haven't read, and we should. I did have the macabre thought, like, we should just plow through all those other ones so when he dies, we could drop a whole bunch of Cormac McCarthy episodes. <laughs> like, we don't need to ever read The Orchard Keeper, his first book. It's not very good. No one's it's, first book is very good. It's, like, clearly, like, oh, I can see, like, how this guy became Cormac McCarthy. But, uh, but I mean, Sutri's worth doing, probably. Um, I want to read them. I just want yeah. to read them to read them. So if I could somehow Probably double they're, they're up, they're all they're long and they're they're not long, but they are they're all dense. It is not an easy read. Any of them, right? But this one of, of the four I've read so far, this one was the most difficult. Yeah, of those most of those difficult to four. understand. What the fuck was the point? And we the didn't get f- the point of Blood Meridian either. So oh, no. <laughs> no, we did not. The point but was like, that what violence was the point? is awesome. Oh, but I got the plot. <laughs> yes. There was one. I mean, there was technically... I, I wasn't ever unclear, like, what was happening in this book. Unlike, uh... uh no Country for Old Men? Treacle Walker? Treacle oh, Walker. Walker. Oh, God. I had no idea what book. was even happening in that. that so it's nothing. not like I was unclear what was happening. This Tre- just... I didn't know what the point was. Treacle Walker was an 88-year-old man who just ate a fistful of peyote... <laughs> and hid under a blanket for three weeks. That's what With that book typewriter. was. With a typewriter. And sharded out a book. <laughs> sure. He only typed letters that he could type with his old saggy man balls as he teabagged the typewriter. That's what that was. It was, it was horrendous. This That's man sweated over this shit for 40 years. He spent 40 years writing this book. You know what? Off. 
I have a theory. The reason why he spent 40 years because he didn't know how to end it. And, and then he's like, fuck it, now whatever. he's like, I'm 90. Fuck it. I don't care anymore. Whatever. Let, let him Put argue about this and lit classes for a decade. I don't care. Fuck it. Do it live. Just get it out there. <laughs> you might not be wrong. But like, Maybe the, the road money was running out. It's like a practical joke. I, you know, I bet he got the most money from No Country for Old Men. Like That movie made money, whereas The Road was a bomb, wasn't it? Um, I don't know. But people still buy know. that book. It's still a well, great book. Well, it won book. the Pulitzer, yeah. It, it is a great, I was just telling my no, wife about it. No, won like Best Picture, though, didn't it? It did. And I think the Coen Brothers won Best Director for it. Yeah. So that just drives sales on the movie, which gives him some taste of that. But probably and then he wrote much. his own movie that bombed. Is it the one with Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, no, no. That was a a play they turned into a movie, him and Tommy Lee Jones. That was yeah. called... Um, uh, the f- uh, fucking I don't know Sunset something Sunset Limited or some shit like that Dookie on the hands yeah I think no, there, he wrote a movie called The Counselor with like, like Michael Fassbender and Cameron Diaz oh yeah 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 that looked like ass that looked like complete no one liked it garbage. apparently you know it's it, I, I can't imagine what it would be like making a movie out of a screenplay that this man wrote when it's all like opaque descriptions. Yeah, so what does the dialogue look like if he doesn't attribute shit in a novel? Is it just a blank space in a new line of dialogue and the actors like figure it out who says what? I, I, I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. I just know that in it, Cameron Diaz fucks a car. She looks like she has a big vagina, I can imagine. But she didn't take the car inside her. She... Oh, she, she fucked the car with her penis. Yeah. Impressive. I didn't think she had that in her. The car didn't either. <laughs> Did you put it in the exhaust pipe? Was it I'm her not, birthday? I don't want to give it away. You just have to see it to believe it. But he also wrote um, another screenplay that never got made into anything. Uh, the Gardener's Son or something stupid like that. Something like that, yeah. But yeah, um, The Counselor. The, the cover, the, that's like the movie poster. You would think it's a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, like yeah. this, <laughs> Like all these, like it's like fucking Brad Pitt and Javier Bardem and... Michael Fassman, like, oh, this is going to be one of those cool ensemble piece movies. And then it was like probably one guy sat around talking about tobacco. And then <laughs> the other characters appeared occasionally to be like, hey, can I have some pudding? And then you're like, that's a fucking movie. And that's fucking Cormac McCarthy style. And then it ended and they're like. With a giant, with everybody dead. Just yeah, like, everybody <laughs> just dies. And they're like, that tapioca spoiled. And then you're like, okay. And nothing, nothing has to make any sense. And uh, it turns out someone was a drug dealer, and the deal went wrong, and someone fucks their corpses at the end. That's it. The last 12 minutes of the movie is just Michael Fassbender just plopping his meaty cock on everybody's dead body. You never know. And Cormac McCarthy just just outside of the frame, jacking it, just like, yes, this is it. This Art. Is, oh, Art. Shart. <laughs> Well, tell us what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> and a quick exit. <laughs> Send us an email to <laughs> drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you listen this long, head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub to uh, support the podcast. <laughs> and you can also follow us on Goodreads <laughs> where we read stuff that's good. And you can also go to wherever you listen and give us five stars one for every star that is a star except for the ones that aren't nope 
And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening.